In order to get the most out of ParentWise, listen to episode one, episode two, and our bonus episode, Long Game Parenting. After that, listen to whatever you want. Mom, mom, mama, what's ParentWise? So when do you want to go to sleep? None time. Parentwise is wildly honest. We talk to real parents about real issues. Parents often have no place to go to figure out what to do and how to fix it. A community of parents who find solutions that work in the real world. The first step to fixing anything is understanding the why of it. Hi, I'm Carrie Jordan. And I'm Dr. B. And, and this, this is, is Parentwise. So today we have a very special episode that I'm really super excited about. I came across this person when I was doing research to back up some of the practices that we preach Mm -hmm. because I figured, hey, instead of just believing me, let's believe some research. You've been clinically trained. I have not. So uh, and I have very strong opinions, some of which I thought maybe I should have some, you know, kind of. Right. Scientific I, backup. And I came across this um, this man. His name is Dr. David Bredehoft. And he um, he writes for Psychology Today. We're going to put a bunch of his stuff up on our website under our picks. So please go there after this so that you can um, take a look at all of the different resources that are available. He spent his whole adult life researching overindulgence and the effect it has on the transition from childhood into adulthood. I get the backup from the parents I work with. Right. And when I get to see them slow the overindulgence down and the behavior gets better. Right. So originally the book was called How Much is Enough? And it was published in 2003 and it was based on three different studies that he had conducted. In 2014, he had done 10 studies. So they revised the book and then they republished it as How Much is Too Much. Ah. And so the the title you're going to be looking for is How Much is Too Much? Raising Likeable, Responsible, Respectful Children from Toddlers to Teens in an Age of Overindulgence. And we've really found that overindulging kids does have a long-term effect and influences them in many negative ways. They also then grow up to be parents that then overindulge their children and repeat the pattern quite frequently. Right. Yeah, we tend to do what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think, again, scarcity, this feeling of scarcity or of, of a child being left alone to suffer on their own mm-hmm. has become a big, a big fear. And that is from parents who were raised. They don't know how to manage their own feelings. They probably weren't mm-hmm. taught how to do that. And so now they're afraid that their own children can't do it. Mm-hmm. it and that fits with what we found um, uh, in our original study. When I first embarked on this type of research, I thought, oh, uh, you know, it's about these bratty kids um, mm-hmm. and it's their problem or issue. And what we found out, what 
really is the heart of the matter is the overindulgence stems from some issue or problem that the parent is struggling with. Uh, Maybe they lost a child through death or something, so now they're overprotective of the the children that are are remaining. Or uh, they grew up in poverty, and uh, they knew the hardships, and they don't want their child to suffer. Or they can't deal with their feelings um, of maybe overwork and fatigue or guilt or shame. And so they end up overindulging. My mom calls it lazy parenting. (laughs) And, you know, it doesn't feel like that to the parents because it Uh takes a lot of work. Lazy parenting in the sense that you're really doing it for you. Yeah, trying to meet the needs of uh, the, the parent as opposed to meeting the real needs of the child. Yeah. I want to hear more about like the later research and what differences you did in your studies to kind of test different theories. Okay. I'll go back just and recap that first study because uh, it really sets the the groundwork for all the rest of the studies I conducted. In that first study, my uh, co-authors, Jean Ilsley Clark and Connie Dawson, we created a I can't believe we got people to fill this out. Today, I doubt that people would do it. It was about a 28-page open-ended survey, and we had uh, 720 adults fill it out and then self-identify whether they were overindulged or not as children. What we did was we had focus groups before this, and we came up with a definition of what is overindulgence, and we presented that to them in the survey, and then they and then asked them based on this definition, "Do you think you were overindulged as a child or not?" And then we took a look at the the individuals based on that. So these were self-identified adults who believed they were overindulged as children, and we found out some incredible things, or I think incredible things. First of all, that there were three types of overindulgence. The first type, which we label too much, it can be too much of almost anything, too much time, too much money, too many experiences. It can be just literally too much of anything. The second type of overindulgence we found in that study was what we call over-nurture. It's doing things for children that they should be doing for themselves. And uh, it's uh, jumping in and, like you said, doing their laundry or or picking up their clothes, or maybe it's just easier if I just do whatever it is. Then the third type of overindulgence we identified was what we call a soft structure. Um, that's not having rules. Or if you do have rules, it's not enforcing the rules. Um, it's not having chores, uh, expecting things, expecting kids to do things. What we found out, I think, mainly from that is it really comes from the parents' needs, not uh, the child's meeting the child's needs. And it has some long-term effects. And parents reported all kinds of things as an adult now that they were struggling with and that they were in real pain. Then from there, uh, it took me two years to analyze the data because I didn't have a research 
grant to do this. And so I had to train my own students to, uh, to what we call code the data and then analyze the data. Then after that study was published, I did two more studies for that first book. One was with college students, uh, looked at things like that were is overindulgence related to things like depression and so forth. And we found, yes, self-esteem, yes. Then the third study, we looked at parenting issues. And then from there on, uh, more later studies, we looked at things like gratification. We looked at uh, self-control. We looked at wanting things like uh, external versus internal kinds of um, uh, goals in life. That we found out that those kids who were overindulged now as an adult have external aspirations of wanting wealth and material things, fame, etc., and they're not interested in things like building relationships. They see the world as all about them, uh, not, and it's not important to care about other people make the world a better place, which was really disturbing to me. And even one of um, our later studies, the last study, we looked at uh, spirituality and uh, found out that those those kids who were overindulged then grow up to be uh, adults who really don't connect spiritually either. So quite a few things something that you note that's really important to note in the book is that it it spans all I would say it's the most obvious things I've seen of it have been with with children who were born you know to wealthy parents but I've seen it children born to not wealthy parents too yes well and even if you don't have lots of wealth or resources in that way you still can overindulge with over nurture doing things for them that they should be doing themselves and you can overindulge with soft structure, not having the rules or forcing rules or expecting chores, those kinds of things. I'll tell a short story about my mom. This dates me a little bit, but um, my folks really scraped together as much as they could to buy me and my two brothers uh, bicycles. And they were used bicycles for Christmas. This would have been Christmas 1959. And mm-hmm. I remember it real vividly. And we were so thrilled to have bicycles, uh, and they were used, but that wore off pretty quickly for me. And I said, Mom, I really want that, uh, that new shiny red bicycle down there in the Western Auto Store window. And she mm-hmm. says, that's great, Dave, but you know what? This is all we could do for you. If you want that bike, you're going to have to work for it. And I hear there, and this time in my life, they were still... Uh, hiring paper boys. And Mm. she said, uh, you know, I hear they're hiring paper boys and you can get a job and, and go earn that money. And so that's what I did at 11. I went out, got a job throwing papers and I earned the money and bought that new bike. And she taught me a valuable lesson. If you want something and you want it bad enough, you got to work for it. It's funny you say that. So I have a six year old and she always is asking for things. And I'm very not like I'm very insistent that there's only a certain amount of toys that are going to be in the house. And they never play with most of them anyway. So 
so I won't buy, I say, you know, this is not a special occasion. You know, if you want to pay for it out of your money or what have mm-hmm. you, that that's fine. And she'll say, but don't you have money? I'm all, yes, <laughs> I do for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. but so I'll say, I'm like, you know, if you want, I said, you can wash my car. You can do this. You can do yeah. that, you know, above and beyond mm-hmm. stuff. And she goes, no, forget it. I don't really want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, one day you'll want something enough mm-hmm. to do this work. But until then, clearly it's not that important to you. That's right. mm-hmm. So anyway, so what initially brought you to this form of because your original your original education was it specifically with children and families because I'm kind of curious how you ended up over in this specific area okay um, I did my undergraduate degree in psychology at the University of Oklahoma and then I also did a master's degree there at the University of Oklahoma in educational psychology got my first job professional job doing a couple of things, marriage and family counseling, individual counseling, and then working with uh, unwed mothers at Lutheran Social Service in Wichita, Kansas. And I worked there for two years. And then, lo and behold, out of the blue, I got a call from Concordia. It was Concordia College at the time in St. Paul, Minnesota, now it's Concordia University, from uh, the chair of the education department and uh, wanted to hire me to teach psychology. I had a master's degree and two years experience. Took that job. I was the luckiest guy in the world uh, because that wouldn't happen today. Then while I was uh, teaching there, I also was working on my PhD full-time at the University of, of Minnesota. When I was at LSS, Lutheran Social Service in Wichita, it became real apparent to me that my interest really was in marriage and family and family life education, equipping parents and families with tools to help them become better at what they do. And um, one of the best departments in the country was right in my backyard at the University of Minnesota. So I completed a, a PhD then in family social science, and my focus of research was on parenting. And um, I did a uh, my dissertation on a parenting class called Self-Esteem, a Family Affair. And that was written by my co-author, Jean Elsley Clark, and was still is one of her best-selling books. She's written about 25 books. Uh, I remember going to a conference where she was speaking and walking up to her after her presentation and said, Jean, I would like to do research on your parenting class. Uh, Would that be okay with you? And she was absolutely thrilled that a researcher was going to do research on her parenting class. And so I I said to her, Jean, you know... um, I have to warn you ahead of time, I might find out that it doesn't work. Um, Is that okay with you? And she said, absolutely. That's important to know too. But I'm confident that the stuff I have in this class really does work. And so that was the basis of my dissertation. And we found out, yes, indeed, her course really is effective. Then she kept pulling me in. So about 
Oh, two or three years later, she uh, gave me a call and she says, Dave, I've got a research project for you. I keep doing these speaking engagements. And afterwards, people come up to me and say, you know, I think I was overindulged as a kid and it's really painful and you really need to do some work in that area. And so she called me and she said, Dave, we need to do some research on overindulgence. And I, the first thing I said to her was, whoa, you mean these kids who have everything? I don't get it. She says, oh, they're just going through some agony and pain. And I thought to myself, you know, as an adult, uh, and they are going through agony and pain. I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. She, her response was, well, obviously, you weren't overindulged as a child because you don't get that. And so I said, well, okay. Uh, uh, we'll do this. And so then we embarked on that first study. And I came around. I, I really found out that, um, especially with some of the open-ended responses that they wrote to our questions, some of them would literally turn the page over and, and write on the backside pages of how it affected them and, and how, uh, uh, as an adult, that there were short change with skills or they're in, you know, deep pain because of a whole variety of things that occurred. So that's how we got going. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of catharsis there because for those those people, I think they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know why they are mm-hmm. so unhappy. Mm-hmm. And to then be able to put a name to mm-hmm. it um, is is like so exciting because they're like, why would I be depressed? I got everything. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. parents showed me all this love. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to. Yeah. And yeah, well, you have no sense of accomplishment, no sense of self. Mm-hmm. It's just so nice for them to have the the ability to put a name to it. So I'm mm-hmm. actually not surprised you got yeah. that response. curious where did you get the four questions okay i think you're referring to the test of four correct yes. okay well what we did was we looked at that original piece of research and then out of that the following pieces of research and we um we came up with four questions to determine whether a parent is overindulging or not and they're all grounded in those pieces of research. So that's where we came up with them. Um, the first question has to do with developmental tasks. And oh, by the way, so you, we have a parent think about, okay, an incident that keeps cropping up in which they think they're overindulging their child. And usually that's what I call a, you know, a rub. It just keeps, it's like, it just keeps coming up and up like a bad shoe that you hurt your toe, you know? So then have them think about that and, and ask these four questions. And if there's a yes answer to one or more, it probably is overindulgence. It would be really be helpful to our listeners if you could tell us the question and then talk about them. Question number one. Will doing or giving this to my child prevent him or her from learning what he or she should be learning at this age? Will it prevent my child from reaching a developmental goal or task? Will doing or giving this to my child put a roadblock in front of them developmentally? If the question is yes, then it probably is overindulgence. 
this answer is yes, it's probably overindulgence. The second question has to do with family resources. Does it use a disproportionate amount of family resources? And that can be money, but it also could be time, attention, energy, almost anything to meet the wants, not the needs of one or more of our children. And the third question has to do with whose needs. We talked about that before. Whose needs are being met in this situation? Does it benefit the adult more than the child? So am I doing this really, you know, um, for me, not for them? I get home at night and after work and I'm tired and just overwhelmed and I just can't handle it. So I give in. I say yes or whatever. And that's really to meet my needs, not my child's needs. And the fourth and last question in the test of four is about possible harm. Does it hurt others, harm the community, or damage the planet in some way? So by doing this, is there harm in some way? Uh, One story that we tell in the book, and all the stories that we tell in the book were true, and we did get permission from people to tell them, because that's important too. And I I, I think of this story often when it, it comes to damage to the planet. Um, first of all, my wife and I, we're uh, avid bird watchers. One of the things that we do is we go all over and, and watch birds. I often tell my friends who don't understand that, that it's an addiction. Uh, we went to uh, on a bird watching trip to Africa a few years ago. And I remember we were in Kenya, and this young girl comes out of a mud hut and comes pretty close to us. She's on the other side of a ditch, and the ditch is full of brown, muddy water. And she's got two five-gallon buckets. And she says, hi, where are you guys from? And we said, whoa, we're from Minnesota. And what in the world are you doing here? We're looking at birds. And she just couldn't understand why we'd go that far to look at birds. Uh, then we started talking more, and we said, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm collecting my family's drinking water. And she said, see, th- this is where I'm getting it. And she goes down, and she scoops up two five-gallon pails of muddy red water. We said, well, oh, do you really drink that? She said, yeah. Um and we said, well, how? And she said, well, we pour it like through cheesecloth or whatever and let the dirt settle out. And then it's, it's pretty good. And I, we were just, just floored. Well, then I fast forward to the story in the book. There was a man who's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company in Minnesota that travels all over the world. And he goes to a developing country. And first thing he does in his hotel room is put his his suits to hang in the bathroom turns on the water to hot shuts the door steams them uh, to get the wrinkles out and then i think back to that young girl in africa collecting her family water for the day that steaming your clothes that is damaging to people who don't have clean water and the planet. Just one example.
Yeah, that's funny that you that one really stuck with me mm-hmm. because because it's you know we expect kids to not really know the difference, but as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, you should be able to reason yourself through mm-hmm. that. So, you know, like, so I don't think it takes a rocket scientist, but if no one's ever taught you to even consider right. any of right. those things, then yeah, that you're not going to go there. You're exactly. just, your brain won't even go there. So one of the things that, that we do and you can do, and hopefully this program will help parents do is learn the skills are the actually you learn to use a tool we call it a tool the test of four and like any tool the more you use it the better you're at it and the higher your batting average is with it so use the test of four um, on those rub areas with your child that you're struggling with or you think is overindulgence yes and then you know hopefully once they know then we can start giving them you know, what, what we work on, which is the logical consequences, Mm -hmm. understanding misbehavior. Um, and then what, you know, that's my mom, uh, studied all of that and we were raised with it. And then what I brought to the table, not that, you know, this is like groundbreaking, but is the, Mm -hmm. will the world continue? Will the, will the world take this behavior over for you? Because if it won't, Mm -hmm. then then you need to reconsider. Mm-hmm. There's a, a question my mom saw on a parenting Facebook page about a child who wasn't involved. Uh, he wasn't invited to one of his closest friends' oh. birthday parties. And, you know, and, and everyone was, she's like, I don't know what to do. And everybody was responding. Well, you should just reach out to the mother and you can see, you know, you should ask and find out because I'm sure it was an oversight and all these different right. things. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity to deal with disappointment mm-hmm. and rejection mm-hmm. and letting him have that opportunity in a safe environment and and making it appropriate for his his age level and letting him have go through those mm-hmm. feelings and, and practice having those feelings and living through those feelings and being OK, mm-hmm. even and, if it was an oversight. Mm-hmm. Right. So to and to sensitize to use that to sensitize him so that when he's in a position to invite other people, he understands mm-hmm. what might happen if right. he excludes someone, even if it's somebody he's really not particularly fond of. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Think, yeah, and I've just know most parents they don't want their children to experience pain, and I appreciate that. But that is not how the world works, my right. friends. That's the world funny. does not care if you're rich or poor. Does not care if you are white or black. Bad things are going to happen. And if you don't know how to struggle, you are going to be so sad mm-hmm. so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it's it's just such a disservice. It's such a disservice. So it was interesting because I had read about 40 responses and there wasn't one that saw it as a potential positive. And when I put my toe in the water there, I thought, oh, I'm going to get some backlash. But what was really interesting was that after I said that, there were other people who kind of chimed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's indicative of what happens in this culture is, you know, people don't want to stick out. They don't want to put their their stuff out there because they're afraid that they'll be in the minority. Mm -hmm. And again, um, I've been blessed in that way. I There were a lot of ways in which I was the minority in growing up. And it was painful at times. It was difficult at times, but it was one of the things that helped me develop character and grit 
and, and a sense of I can manage things when they don't mm-hmm. go my way. Mm-hmm. Life can sometimes be too good, too even, and we need to find ways to create opportunities to help our children learn to master mm-hmm. these situations. And if we don't do that, we are not preparing our children to be adults, to be healthy. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. And um, that example that you gave is what I call the the hired gun. You know, a a child then, if you step in and do it for them, over-nurture in that way, they learn that when they have problems, all they need to do is get the hired gun. And like you had said before, (laughs) will that work for you when you're 22 or 25 or 35 or 45? Uh, you have to ask yourself, for instance, now this didn't happen often, but I remember one of the last semesters I was teaching, uh, I get a phone call uh, from a parent of one of my students, and that parent was reaming me out for assigning a, a D to uh, his son's class that he was taking with me. And uh you know, I'm thinking, okay, I can't believe this. And we're not talking about a four or five year old. We're not talking about a 10 or 15 year old. We're talking about a 21 year old. <laughs> and oh, that's and uh, one of the things that helped me, because I didn't want to engage in that conversation, is that there are laws. Uh, I, I can't yeah. share information about uh, his uh, child's work in my class. Uh, unless I get written permission, I said, I'd be happy to talk to you if your son gives me written permission. Of course, he never did. Uh, yeah, that's just embarrassing. Or, or then other examples. Uh, we had uh, a lot of our, all of our students at Concordia have to do a, uh, it's a full semester, 40 hour a week uh, internship. And um, one of the internship sites that we used quite often. I was talking with her not long ago, the woman that runs it, and she was saying, I can't believe it. Last week, I had uh, interviewed a number of individuals for a job. And uh, these were like 21, 22-year-old newly graduates of college. And uh, she said, uh, at the end of the interview, you know, I have a standard question. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me? And the young woman I was interviewing said, uh, I don't, but uh, mom, dad, do you have uh, any questions that you'd like to ask her? And her phone had been open and mom and dad had been listening to the interview the whole time. I, I wow. couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And then she, she also told me, that uh, quite routinely now, if she turns somebody down for a job, a, their parent calls them and asks them why their kid didn't get the job. Um, yep. So yep. we're not in that way. We're really not preparing individuals for adult life, and those things don't really work. And I agree. Start out young. This was a teaching opportunity for that child to learn about those feelings and in a safe environment and how to handle that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. I'm very empathetic with my with my daughter. Mm-hmm. She'll say, but I want it. Mm-hmm. I want it. I'm like, I, it's so hard to not get what you mm-hmm. want, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isn't that difficult? Mm-hmm. I feel that way mm-hmm. too. <laughs> Mom. I'm like, what? Or she'll go, she'll go, can I have it please? I'm like, does the long please ever work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes, no. I go, does it ever work when you just ask me over and over again? No. I'm like, can we just skip all that? She's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that um, that what's what's great is, is that there is such a clear correlation. We just have to get that information out there to parents so that they understand. Because I think most parents want to do the best thing for their child. Yes. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and they don't realize that they're taking care mm-hmm. of themselves and not mm-hmm. their child. Right. And and so we well, just have to kind of be persistent about putting it out there. And there really aren't a lot of avenues for that. There's a lot there's conscious parenting, there's positive right. discipline, there's all these different things that are out there, but none of them really focus on on really preparing your child to be an adult because that's what they're gonna be for the majority mm-hmm. of their life. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's um, the the other thing has to do with parents being very fearful. I mean, you have to remember parents, most of them are in their 20s, early 30s, the bulk of them. And it's still hard for them, especially many of them nowadays who were raised with this, you know, permissive parenting. It's very hard for them to sort of take a stance and say no, not just no to their child, but to say it to their peers, to be able to say to a mother, you know, no, I don't do Mm -hmm. that. I know you do that. I don't do that. And so part of the deal is helping this generation of parents learn to almost parent themselves into better adulthood. Mm -hmm. You can ask these same questions and and look at yourself Mm -hmm. and that you can, because most times you have to do work on yourself in order to be a better parent. Mm -hmm. Sure. Not easy to be a good parent. It's hard mm-hmm. work and it's scary because you don't always know if you're doing the right thing because your results generally come later. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know? oh yeah. And- so you don't get the immediate gratification of your st- child stop stopping crying. Instead you get a 30 minute, mm-hmm. you know, 30 minute ten- temper tantrum that next time will be a 20 minute temper tantrum that next time will be a 10. And after a while they won't even do it anymore That's because right. it doesn't get them anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and parents do what they think works when they overindulge, because if a child asks for something that they either can't afford or shouldn't have, um, and a parent gives it begrudgingly, they save themselves the temper tantrum. Right. They save themselves the hard work. And it appears to everyone that they have this really good child. Mm-hmm. And that must mean, therefore, that they are a good parent, when in fact, they're just delaying the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen this with a lot of parents. They, I don't understand. You know, I, they never acted out. They never had temper tantrums. They never, never, never. And all of a sudden, now that they're an adult, they're very angry and, you know, it's and and if you track it back, you can see that the parent always put their toe in the door before anything of meaning really happened. Mm-hmm. So the child never really learned. And when they finally got to a point where, you know, they were too old to have temper tantrums. Um, yeah. Grown up mm-hmm. temper tantrums are pretty old. They are. Yeah. Now they cause damage to the environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
But oh, we, yeah. we really live in a culture of overindulgence, and there's so many pressures that parents um, have to endure, you know, pressures to overindulge. For instance, TV and movies and social media, marketing. Companies are spending billions of dollars annually to market to children directly. Uh, and mm-hmm. school, uh, they're their own hopes and dreams, the parents' hopes and dreams, let alone the child's hopes and dreams, peer pressure, kids who just beg constantly, uh, video games, uh, a parent's own fatigue, a child's fatigue, um, just wanting peace in the household. So there's all kinds of pressure. And the message not to overindulge really is what I think of as a countercultural message. And it's like uh, we're salmon swimming upstream, but you still got to do it, you know? <laughs> what would you say as a kind of parting wisdom to to parents? I mean, I can tell you right now, we will definitely be referring to The Test of Four, and our your book is available Great. on our website. Well, some parting wisdom. Um well, here's something that I can uh, offer your parents in the form of a recommendation for them to start turning things around. number of things that they can do. The first thing that I would suggest is become aware of the problem of overindulgence, both a, it, as a cultural problem, but in their own parenting too. So awareness is key that I'm overindulging. And the second thing is, once you become aware that you're overindulging a child, uh, get on the same page with your spouse or your partner, if you have a spouse or partner. That doesn't mean you have to be lockstep, you know, the Berlin Wall, but it really helps if both of you are on the same page, that you agree that, yes, this is overindulgence, and yes, I want to change it, or we want to change it. Then the third thing that they can do is identify one issue in which they are consistently overindulging their child. And that's one of those rub areas. And you usually can, you know, right off the bat, uh, because it keeps coming up over and over and over again, like the tantrum going through the checkout line at Target. You know, every time they want to reach and get this and get that, and then they throw this ring-tailed tat-tootin' tantrum right there in front of God and everybody. And, uh, you know, um, so if that's the issue, uh, identify the one issue that is causing a rub for you with your child. Then once you've identified that, let your child know in a caring but firm way that things are going to change around that issue. And then the fifth thing they can do is come up with a plan to handle it in a non-overindulgent way. And they can do that in a variety of ways. They can talk to friends. They can read good books like ours. They can brainstorm with their partner. They can go online probably and ask. Who knows? There's plenty of ways that they can come up with a plan. But come up with a plan that's non-overindulgent. Once they have that, consistently follow the plan consistently follow the plan over and over again 
And then the next thing that they need to do, the seventh thing is, if necessary, make course corrections. Tweak the plan if necessary. Because sometimes the plan original, original plan isn't working 100%, but you're getting there. Tweak it a little bit if necessary. And then uh, the eighth thing, celebrate your success. When that, that is in place and you're on a roll, uh, celebrate. And, and the ninth thing, forgive yourself for past parenting failures. After all, we're all human and we do make mistakes. So forgive yourself. And then, then the, the tenth and last thing is repeat step number one, uh, which is uh, awareness of the next issue or problem that you want to tackle. And, and consistently do that. And if, if you're still having difficulty after all that, um, then there's all kinds of resources even to up the game, as you know, uh, counseling or parenting coaches and whole variety of things that they can tap into. But I want to applaud you on your work and I wish you lots of success. So that was really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Yes, definitely. It's amazing. What did you like about it? Well, it's, it's very concrete. It's very practical. And it makes it easy to figure out when we're stepping over the line. Right. I agree. I agree. Obviously, you know, we like systems and things that are numbered. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's it just is easier to remember. And it makes it feel, like you said, more concrete. Right. Um, and, and, like, if I follow these steps, I, you know, it puts me in the right place. Let's do a recap of the test of four. And then we'll go into a recap of what his recommendations were for our listeners. Okay, great. Okay, hit it. So the first one is, does the situation hinder the child from learning the tasks that support his or her development and learning at whatever age they're at? Do you think that there might be some confusion about what their child is capable of? Well, there might be, but the truth is, you know, if you're paying attention to your child, you know that Perhaps your firstborn did something a little early, uh, and you know that your second one is on a different path and is maybe more physical and less uh, wanting to sit and read books or something. So you know that each child has a different pace. Right. That's true. I guess I, guess I just find it that most parents underestimate what their children are capable of. That's true also. Especially, especially young children. Well, and new parents. Yeah. You know, if you have only one child and you don't have a baseline, you've never really compared your oldest to your second or so forth and so on. And you, you, you're not really sure what's normal and you're looking at books a lot. And yeah. books don't really tell us about our child. Right. And They I think, give you that, you know, it should be somewhere in between here and here. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and different books will give you different ages too. So, but the thing that I think is true is the thing that you just said, which is that we have a tendency to underestimate what our children are capable of. I I think one of my favorite things is watching your little one and all the things she can do that most people are just blown away by. How old was she when she started bringing you diapers? Mm, A little over a year old. A little over a year old. Yeah. And you could say bring me a diaper, and she would go yeah. get a diaper. Can you get me a diaper and some wipes? You got to change your diaper. You know what she did? You know what she did for the first time yesterday? No. She brought me a diaper, wipes, and butt cream. 
<laughs> she brought the she brought the cream for her butt, and then she started pointing to her butt. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yes. But then when I tried to change her, she was like, she wouldn't come. She wouldn't come to me. I had to basically <laughs> trick her into coming over. So she brought me all of the correct stuff, including the, you know, I, just, I couldn't believe that. I was like, are you serious right now? Now she's oh. like, look, I'm a little, I'm a little sore. I'm a little raw. So I'd like you also <laughs> to apply the butt cream. Thank you. I, w- I was totally well, like, blown away. Just for the record, she's not even 18 months yet. Yeah, no, she's 18 months soon, but yeah, she's not yet. And uh, it, <laughs> I was just well, like, and the other thing that I she's find, getting so specific <laughs> what she wants. Well, and the other thing is when you're done and you wrap up the dirty diaper, you can give it to her and say, throw this in the trash. Yeah. And yeah. she does that. And most people. Just they don't even begin to try with their children, right? I, it honestly just came from me, like just from a fun place of just being like, "Hey, go get, will you get me a diaper?" And she went, went over and got me a diaper. I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> like I didn't teach her to get a, her, her own diaper. I just asked her if she would, and was completely surprised. You you, you ask, and then you just have to wait because it takes long longer. They're processing for, yeah, to process the question, figure out what they need. And then go and do it. Right. But once I started doing that, then I just started asking her all kinds of things. I'm like, hey, will you go get me your shoes? Whatever she could do to help. Will you pick up the food you dropped on the floor while you were eating? You know, all of those things. And she does, and she does, all does it. Of those things. <laughs> she totally does it. So and, I guess I would and say. And is happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very proud of herself. So I think you're right. I, I think that they've got the information out there. But you got to kind of tune into your own kid. And then I would add to that, you know, like what you were just saying, like, you just try it and see what happens. Right. Right? I mean, why not? Why not ask and see if they can do it? When you were a nanny, you worked for a woman who was doing something like this with her very young child. Oh, like right. That was when he was less than six months. And she would say, she would go to change his diaper and she'd say, lift your legs up. And then he would, you know, you you had to wait a beat, but he would. And that was the first time I was like, oh, wow. She was like, yeah, they understand way before they can talk. And and that what is what kind of inspired that. Maybe I should just ask and see. And and I watch people with their little, their babies. And then, and like, like, let's say, you know, a baby's sitting at a table or, you know, a toddler or whatever, sitting at a table with, you know, on his mom's lap. And he starts, like, you know, like, banging the silverware and, you know, or whatever. And then what they'll do is they'll they'll change the environment. They'll maybe put, take the plate away, put a napkin down so it's not as loud. Or they will, um, you know, take it away from them. But they don't talk to them. When the baby's doing that, I say to her, I'm like, that's not what we do with those. Can you please put those down? Or please don't make, you know, don't bang them. And at least give her an opportunity to, to not do it herself. And to learn to self-regulate right. in that and way. Sh- she's pretty darn good at it. She really is. But anyway, coming back to the main point, which is to to try and, and remember, it, you know, and try and ask yourself, is this hindering the development of my child? Uh, really give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they can do it and go a step up rather than a step back. And if they can't, you can always dial it back. Right. So the second one is... Does the situation give a disproportionate amount of family resources to one or more of the children? Could be money, space, time, energy, attention, and maybe psychic input. Okay? So that's another way of evaluating overindulgence. The third one is, does the situation exist to benefit the adult more than the child? And in a lot of situations... I think parents 
say, oh, I take them to all these activities for them to give them opportunity. When if they just dug a little bit deeper, they would also see that they also take them to activities because they're busy and they don't have to deal with their own child being bored and, you know, complaining and taking them to the grocery store. And or even something like, you know, I'm the only mom who doesn't have my kid enrolled in four or five extracurricular activities. Right. You know, what's the matter with me that I'm the only one who doesn't do that? Right. There's that keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Right. All right. And number four, does the child's behavior potentially harm others, society, and or the planet in some way? Yeah. Well, obviously, hitting, that's, it hurts society and other people. Right. Right. Using up important resources. Right. Like taking a shower that's way too long when California is in the middle of a drought. Or leaving the lights on, you know, in every room that you're in, especially even if you know yeah. that you're not going to go back there again soon. It's just yeah, being wasteful, essentially. Right. right. I was trying to explain to Rue last night that everything we throw away has to go somewhere and if it's not recyclable. And so I, she was like... I told her, I'm like, it either goes into the ocean or it goes into the ground. And she's like, that's so cool. I'm like, well, if you were to talk to the fish as they see the straw that you are about to throw away floating on by, you know, I don't know if the fish would agree. And so we kind of talked about the, you know, why I won't let her take like more than one straw. She gets one straw and she has to use that straw until the straw dies in some fashion. <laughs> and like we rinse off the straw, we reuse the straws yeah. because because that's Listen, we're getting smart. Do you know that there's a little thing that you can buy at the supermarket to clean the straws? Oh yeah, I have all that because of the baby stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um but man, she wants another straw. <laughs> she does. She wants two straws. Oh, really? Yeah, because she says she wants to drink out of two straws. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, that would be exciting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure two straw drinking would be amazing. <laughs> Maybe I'll let her try it just for once, rinse it out, and then put the other straw back. <laughs> just to let her have the experience. Exactly. <laughs> two exactly. straw drinking. <laughs> All right, so some steps for parents. Yeah, so this is what he went over at the end. Mm-hmm. Become aware of the problem of overindulgence culturally and in your own parenting. So everybody listening, you're overindulging in some area. I know you are. Mm-hmm. Probably several. <laughs> Probably all of us do it. So yeah. Carrie and I went back and we looked at some things and I was thinking about where I overindulged my kids. And I don't think I did it a whole lot, but I, I came up with a really important one, which is that I'd come home from work, I'd have the kids, and in order to uncomplicate dinner time I would let them watch TV for an hour while I cooked dinner and got everything ready uh, for the meal and when I look back I think I really should have said I need you to you know set the table I need you to put up the rice oh you don't know how to put up the rice let me show you how to do that right and sometimes it's just simpler to do it yourself yeah and absolutely so when they're younger especially Yep. The teaching is hard and it's messy. Yep. Okay, so number two, once you're aware, get on the same page with your partner or your spouse so that you agree that there's an issue. And the next one is identifying one issue where you are consistently overindulging your child. Okay, so just pick one. Pick one. Uh, let your child know in a caring but firm way that things are going to change 
around that issue. So the next thing is to figure out a way to handle it in a non-overindulgent way. Right, so come up with a plan to counter whatever the behavior is in a non-overindulgent way. Then you have to consistently follow the plan and consistency is probably the single most important thing here. Um, You can't say you're gonna do something and then only do it once and then forget about it. It has to be consistently implemented. Plus, you've talked to your child and told them. So now they have an expectation and they will remember and then you're being dishonest or you're not really doing what you need to do. Right. And if you forget, again, you have to say, oops, forgot, take two steps back and continue on your in that direction. And it says, you know, the next thing is, if necessary, tweak the plan because you may discover after a little bit that most of it works, but this one piece doesn't. And then you may have to tweak it to eliminate it or fix it in some way. Then it's really important to have a happy dance. Celebrate your success and give yourself credit for having done the hard work of changing things. And the tenth thing is to forgive yourself for your past parenting failures. You just have to let it go. That's the tenth thing? Forgive yourself for past parenting failures is nine. Yes. Yeah. And number 10 is to repeat step one. Become aware of another problem of overindulgence. Yeah, just choose one at a time and work through them. Yep. And I think forgiving yourself for some parents needs to come earlier because there's they get really mired down in, oh shit, I should have been doing it this way the whole time and I've damaged my kid and this and this and that. And none of that is helpful. No, and nor is it true. Kids are incredibly resilient. Thank God. Incredibly. I work with a lot of kids who live in two households. And one household may be very overindulgent and the children whine and complain there. But the second household is very consistent. There are clear rules, limits and boundaries. And where the child might be whining in one home, the same request will not elicit that in the other home. And that's because children are resilient. They know what works where. Mm-hmm. and they pull it out of the bag when they need it yep. and when it'll work and they keep it away when it doesn't work. Yeah, so absolutely. It's not the end of everything if you make a mistake. Well, I love all of these resources um, uh, for our parents and very helpful for me as a mother of two young kids, um, really kind of looking at, at where I overindulge and, um, and where, you know, where my husband and I can improve. This was absolutely wonderful it really was and i'm excited to have him as a resource to have all of his resources at our disposal and at the disposal of our um of our listeners and um looking forward to giving you guys opportunities to talk to more experts very very soon yes